Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The following is a CA original. Pouncer, the Palm Squad. Pre- and post-game parties on Beale Street. It's all part of the Memphis Tigers basketball game day experience. This is the Tiger Basketball Podcast. What's happening, Tiger Basketball fans? We are back for another edition of the Tiger Basketball Podcast. I'm Mark Giannato, commercial appeal sports columnist. I'm joined, as always, by Jason Munns, our Tiger Basketball beat writer. Uh, Since the last time we joined you, the Tigers uh, reeled off two big wins over Temple and Wichita State, um, firming up their status on the bubble heading into the final two games of the regular season, Thursday night at USF in Tampa, and then the regular season finale against Houston Sunday uh, on CBS at FedEx Forum, I believe 11 a.m. tip. So, I mean, this is it. We, You know, we've come a long way since uh, October or late September when practice started, really August when uh, Amani Bates and Jalen Duran were signed. Uh, and here we are two games out of the end of the regular season and Memphis, uh, still on the bubble, but has, you know, like I said, firmed up its status. Uh, you know, if the tournament started today, uh, they more than likely be in, in some form or fashion, um, that can change still. Um, but yeah, I think, you'd be silly if you didn't feel better about their tournament chances today than you did a week ago at this time, even um, because of those two wins over Temple and Wichita State, kind of the da- you know danger games. Um, and we'll look ahead to the third danger game, the most dangerous one of all in some ways against USF in a little bit. But uh, Jason, what were your impressions? What, what impressed you most about the way Memphis handled Temple and Wichita State. Two home games. Temple game was a little dicey for a second. Wichita State game was an annihilation from the start. What what impressed you most about what the Tigers did over the last week? Well, I mean, I think that's pretty much it. Um, you know, Memphis isn't just winning one way uh, over these last eight or nine, you know, this, this stretch where they've won eight out of nine games. They're they're, you know, they've won close games. They've won blowouts. They've won on the road. They've won at home. They've beaten really, really good teams. They've beaten really, really bad teams. You know, they got the they got the one loss. They got the one loss to SMU. But uh, uh, you know, like by and large, how they've gotten here is 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 really the most impressive thing. Um, you know, and I could go on like like one game, Jalen Duran scoring twenty two points. The next game, uh, Landers Nolly is scoring 22 points. And they're, they, they, that, that's been the biggest thing to me. It's just that, that they are, um, you know, I just think that's what makes them dangerous. They're kind of dangerous right now. You know, you can't really focus in on one thing where you go into the game. If you're a Memphis opponent and you're like, 
well, we're just going to take away Jalen Duran. You know, you can't do that. Or we're just going to, you know, uh, attack their their perimeter offense. We're going to take that away from them. No, no, you can't do that either. So, um, yeah, you know, they've had to come from behind. They've had to, uh, uh, they've they've held, you know, wire-to-wire leads. I mean, I, I just saw a note, actually, uh, courtesy of Memphis's SID, um, Michael Schroeder. He, he puts out uh, the notes for every game. And I thought this was a really, really interesting, uh, quite telling statistic. In the last seven wins, in Memphis's last seven wins, that's, that's 280 minutes of game time. They've trailed just 21 minutes in those seven wins. Wow. That's, wow. Uh, that's, that's not bad. That'll play. That'll play that, in March. Yeah, no, that's impressive. No, and I think you're right. It's, it's, they've got a lot of different ways to beat you now. Um, you know, you've got, you know, whether it's Land, now Landers is, shoot, is playing really well, playing his best basketball of the year um, since he's been inserted in, back into the starting lineup. Um, Lester is playing as well as he's played all year and, and maybe offensively has been as consistent as he's been in his entire career. It feels like over the last six, seven games, um, <clears throat> Deandre has picked it up. Um, you know, I don't think it was any coincidence when he had a bad game against SMU. That's the one time they've lost in the last nine games. His, imp- his performance and energy is vital to all this. And, you know, Jalen Duran gives them, you know, those three guys were here for the for the NIT run. Um, and Jalen Duran, I think, gives them a different, a totally different dimension at the five than they had with Musa Sise because of how he can perform offensively. Um, you know, you can give him the ball in the post and he can, you know, he's get, he, you know, he needs to probably get better at passing out of double teams. I think that's something they, they need to focus on a little bit because I think you're going to see more of that. As now that he's really established himself, but um, his presence uh, looms large uh, down there. And then, you know, Lomax had that stretch where he was really good. He's kind of come back down to earth a little bit, but he's given you, him and Tyler Harris are giving you steady enough play at that point guard position for now. And um, Penny, too, I think is, you know, yeah. he's really figured out how to manage this group best. Um, like that Temple game, it, it, you know, I think that. It won't get talked about in the end of year video, but the decision to go with DeAndre Lester and Landers when they had two fouls against Temple, um, you know, might have saved you from a from a disappointing loss there against Temple. That thing was kind mm-hmm. of getting away from you. You're down eight, and if you leave those guys on the bench the rest of the first half, who knows? You might have dug yourself too big a hole to come back from. Um, you know, the momentum, you wouldn't have gotten the momentum back like you did. And it, that decision, I think, really spurred them to a, you know, what turned out to be a comfortable win where they played, you know, they played really well the rest of the way. And then, you know, Wichita, I mean, that was just, I mean, that was really impressive the way they didn't just beat Wichita. I mean, they took their will, you know, they like just, you know, they did never mm-hmm. let up. Um, they took, they took never their really will. Let up. Yeah. So. Um, and, and here they are there. Yeah. 
let me ask you this real quick. While we're talking about impressive things over the last little bit, uh, a couple more notes in, uh, in in Memphis's game notes here. And I want you to, I'm going to give you two of them. And, and, and these are just a couple of things we haven't talked about. And I want, I want to get your opinion as to which, as to which one is more impressive. Um, mm-hmm. All right. This is both over the last five games. Last five games, Landers Nolly is shooting 59.1% from three. And as a team, Memphis is shooting 84% from the free throw line over their last five games. Oh, it's no doubt to me it's the free throw shooting. Um, (laughs) They're better. The reason, you know, you wrote an interesting item for our newsletter that you can sign up for if you go over to our Twitter accounts. Um, there's a link, I have my, it's pinned to my profile at MG but, um, in your newsletter, you wrote like how, you know, we talk a lot about how badly this team turns the ball over, like a lot of Penny Hardaway coach teams have. Um, but as you pointed out, it, it doesn't necessarily correlate to wins and losses, you know, like they turn the ball over a lot against Houston. They turned the ball over a lot against Wichita state the other day. Uh, and one, both of those are two of their resounding wins of the year, most resounding wins of the year. Um, and in some games where they turn it over, not a lot, they lose like SMU. They lost, even though they didn't turn the ball over that much. Um, Georgia, they committed, Georgia, they committed 11, yeah, 11 turnovers at Georgia and lost. Um, yeah. And in that Georgia game, if you go look, now they did, they were playing Amani Bates at that point, but if you look down the stretch, he played his veterans in that game. That was one of the few early games where he really where Penny really stuck with DeAndre and Land. I remember he said after the game, you you expect your older guys to go make plays. Um yep. interestingly enough though, Jason, and you know it's funny, in that it's amazing when you look back at that Georgia game. They committed 11 turnovers, shot 14 of 17 from the free throw line, um, but lost the game because they shot, and they shot 46% from the field and lost the game. It's kind of amazing in retrospect, um, (laughs) to be honest. Um, But I actually, in that game, it didn't help. I think when you turn the ball over a lot, the free throw shooting helps offset that a little bit when you're shooting free throws well. Um, right. Because if you're not shooting free throws well, free throws well, and you're a high turnover team, it's basically another. If you if if you go one of two from the free throw line, in some ways you can count it as half a turnover. In a lot of ways, you know. Yeah. Um, and it, it it gives you you know you it's basically like. Turnovers are bad because it's empty possessions. And that's free throw, miss free throws are the same way. It feels like it's like empty possessions. And so when they're not shooting free throws well, it like compounds the fact that they have all these empty possessions inherently because they turn the ball over a lot. And so it's just more empty possessions. And so while Landers Nolly's Landers Nolly's three-point shooting is great and like they need it, like I think they're at their best when Landers Nolly is hitting shots like that is that seems to me to correlate to Memphis at its best because he's, you know, when he's, when he's hitting, he's just, uh, he's a scoring, he's, he's unlike anything they have on the roster. Um, otherwise, but I think in general, the free throws, the way they've shot free throws here, the last 10 games or so, whatever it is, 
I, I don't think that I, I think that that translates to a lot of winning because you're you're in some ways decreasing your turnovers in a different type of way um, when you're hitting free throws. And so that's been a that's been an under uh, probably appreciated part of this eight wins and nine game stretch, the way they're shooting free throws. But you know what? That's what good teams do. Good teams shoot. Good teams make free throws. Um, I know there's exceptions. You know, the 0708 Memphis team was an exception, but um, you need to hit shots at the end of games, especially when you're leading for all but whatever you said, 20 some odd minutes. You know, a lot of times, especially as we get here to March, last five, six minutes of a game are, you know, can be dictated with the way that the, the foul structure is in college basketball can be dictated by how you do with those one and one situations, how you do at the free throw line uh, in the last five, six minutes. So um, a lot of encouraging stuff this team's doing. That's how you win eight game, eight, eight games and not, you know, eight, that's how you get eight wins in nine games is you're doing stuff a lot better. Um, and you know, that goes up and down everything. I mean, they're playing defense better. The rotation is, is rock solid. It feels not rock solid, but it feels much more defined. Everyone knows who they're going to be playing with. Everyone knows what they need, what they're supposed to do. Um, and it's really come together nicely. Uh, that's a credit to Penny Hardaway. He didn't lose sight, you know, even when it looked bad. Um, he didn't lose sight that there, you know, and didn't stop, you know, trying to get to this place where he's at now. It took longer than it probably should have, um, especially because this is exactly what happened last year. But why, you know, now that we're here, you know, they're on the verge of breaking this NCAA tournament drought. That's a, that's a heck of an accomplishment um, if they can finish it off here. Um, and, and that's what, that's what this week's about. I think Jason, if they can go two and O, I don't think it matters what they do in the conference tournament. I think they could right now, if the conference tournament started today, Memphis would be the three seed. They would get UCF in the, in the quarterfinals probably, or the winner the winner of UC, I guess the winner of UCF um, and the 11 seed, uh, probably, probably USF. Cool. Yeah, you'd get UCF or USF. Um, as long as you're playing UCF in that game, if you go 2-0 this week, I think you're in the tournament. And it doesn't even matter if you lost in the first game of the conference tournament. That's, that's how I feel. Um, the USF game Thursday night is dangerous in the sense that you lose that, you might be, it, it, they're such a bad team that you, you know, that'd be a quad four loss. You might be faced with having to win the conference tournament if you lose to USF on Thursday. But it's not danger. It's not as dangerous as Wichita and Temple in the sense that USF is just a god awful team this year. I know they beat Cincinnati the other day. They're a god awful team. They are. They they're like in almost every offensive, like production category, uh, dead last in the country or in the country, not the conference, the country. They're either dead last or next to last or third from the bottom. Like they are just awful offensively. Um, they're not terrible defensively. Like they're, they, they, you know, they're like top 100 in most 
defensive met- metrics as a team, but uh, offensively they are just they're just really, really, really bad. And that just uh, on the surface it doesn't bode well for for the Bulls uh, because formerly the Golden Brahmin, by the way, I, I, I was doing some <laughs> research and uh, I don't know if you know that story. They, they used to be the Golden Brahmin. Um, what is a, anyway, what is a Brahmin? A bull. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, they were the go- They had to be the golden Brahmin because a Brahma is like a chicken. Ah, uh, Brahma. Oh, I see. I see a Brahmin bull. Okay, like the Brahma yeah. bull, like the Rock. Yeah, but like a Brahma without an N is like a chicken. Oh. Yeah. So they had to oh, change. I, it. Oh, it's 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 a Brahmin is the cow with like a hump at the neck. I'm there looking at a picture. It's got like yeah. it doesn't look like a normal. It looks like a. It's got a little hump. It's almost like got a camel hump at its neck. I kind of wish they'd go back to that. I mean, like, you know, nothing wrong with the bulls. No no shade on the bulls. But There's like, no oh, Brahmin, though. There's no Brahmin. What? No, I agree with you. There's no, like, no team in the, I don't know why. Like, it's not like you, it's yeah. not like a Native American mascot where you're offending, like, where the Brahmin offended, and that's why they changed their name. Like, I don't know. I, I, I like, forget. What happened? I, I forget why they changed it, but uh, I, I read the whole backstory on on uh, on on how they adopted that name. Um, and, and anyway, it was Bulls is you're right. Bulls is so boring. Like, come on, there's boring. like seventeen thousand bulls around the country. I haven't heard of a Brahmin. Oh yeah, golden Brahmin at that. Yeah, I don't but, like I don't like adding colors to to mascot. Like it should just be the Brahmin, South uh-huh. South Florida Brahmin, not golden <laughs> Brahmin. Well, we, we, uh, getting back on track. Sorry. I, I hate to, uh, I, <laughs> I just felt like I was reminded of it and, and I, I apologize for going off on that tangent there, Mark, but, uh, uh, golden Brahmin or not bulls or not, they are very bad, uh, on the offensive end and, uh, Memphis is very good on the defense, on the defensive end. And, uh, so I, I just, I know that this is like your classic trap game um, type of situation, but to that I say trap game, schmap game. Memphis is going to, uh, you know, I mean, like it, it would take it would take a historically just god awful series of events for Memphis to not come away with a win tomorrow night. Well, and I just think the way they've played has given me a lot of reassurance that, like, their mindset is in the right place now. Like, 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 I, you know, I have a, some form of confidence in this team now that a month ago you just couldn't have in it um, because they've been, for the most part, so consistent. Um, yeah. And uh, so, I, 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 I'm with you. I think, you know, it will be a weird atmosphere. It's an 8 p.m., so 9 p.m. local time in Tampa start for a terrible South Florida team. So there'll probably be, like, hundreds of people there, maybe. You know, like, there's not going to be very many people there. It's not going to be a great atmosphere. But, you know, I mean, the reality is if you're an NCAA tournament team, then this is just a game you win. Like, you just take care of business. Doesn't have to look, the like, fantastic. Like, you just go out and you win by double digits doesn't you know like that's just what you do if you're a tournament team yeah. and, and i expect them to do that um then the big one sunday at home against houston 
another chance to really boost your resume. Um, and like I said, I think you win these next two. If you close the year with two wins, I think you're in. Because um, the way I look at it, to me, Memphis feels like, you know, now it depends what bracketology you look at. You know, Lenardi's got him as his, like, we're recording this on Tuesday or Wednesday, and uh, Lenardi's got them as, like, his one of his top two last four in teams, so still has them pegged for Dayton. You go to, like, the Washington Post, Patrick Stevens. Um, he had the number one bracket in the country last year, uh, according to the bracket matrix. So out of, like, the hundreds of brackets they tracked. This guy had the most accurate one last year, Patrick Stevens. He's got Memphis as his top number 11 seed. So like firmly in the field right now, right. Uh, you know, and so it depends who you're going by. I think Jerry Palms also got Memphis as one of his last four in. Um, yes. But I still think for you to not want sweat it out on selection Sunday, this team needs one more big win, whether it's over Houston or whether it's against SMU in the conference tournament semifinals. Because there is still, well, it'll be interesting to see how the standings work out in the American. Right now, technically, Memphis is a half game behind SMU. SMU's 11 and four, and Memphis is 11 and five in conference. Houston, I believe, has wrapped up the regular season title at this point. Um, that is correct. Yeah. Um, so SMU, if they lose, they have SMU has what two games left? I think um, both at home. Yep they they they, uh, they got Cincinnati on Thursday and Tulane at home on Sunday. And so they're they're going to play one fewer game than Memphis because they had a game canceled that they're not they're not making up. Um, because they, they've only played 15 games at this point. Um, and so, but if they lose their last, it essentially it comes down to if they lose their last two and Memphis wins their last two, Memphis would be the two seed and SMU would be the three. And any other scenario, because SMU has the tiebreaker over Memphis, and I think they'll just have a higher, yeah, like that. If, if SMU just wins one more game, they'll be the second seed is how it'll work out. Um, although it is interesting if they finish 11 and five and Memphis finishes 13 or if they finish, excuse me, 13 and 12 and five and Memphis finishes 13 and five, would Memphis get in ahead of them? Yep. If SMU goes one and one and Memphis goes two and other then Memphis is the two seed. That's interesting. I had no idea. I think SMU's yep. aware of that. Oh, I would, I would hope somebody is somewhere over there. That's interesting. I mean, I don't think it, it's not going to matter that much because you're still going to play, be matched up with SMU in the in the semifinals if you both advance. I guess it changes right. what jersey you get to wear because uh, <laughs> you're the home team. Um, and I will say this: if you're the two seed right now, you if you're the two seed right now, you'd be matched up with. Um, more than likely Cincinnati, Cincinnati. Um, it's interesting. I mentioned earlier UCF as the potential six seed matchup. Um, no, excuse me. One, two, three, four, five, six. So right now, 
it's interesting. Tulane is tied with UCF in the standings. So if you're the three seed, you could potentially play Tulane or UCF. If you're the two seed, you're playing either Cincinnati or East Carolina. Um, so someone like that, or potentially someone below them, um, if they get upset in those qualif- you know, first round games. But um, that's really interesting about the SMU aspect of it. Like SMU's got to go two and zero this week, even though they have the tiebreaker over Memphis. Yeah, they want to finish. If they want to finish with the two seed, they, they have parent- to. Um, now, obviously, now that Houston game. Jason, I mean, the, the conference standings ultimately, I don't know how much they matter at this point for Memphis, because ultimately, I think you're, you're looking at it, all right, we either need to beat Houston or we need to win our AAC tournament semifinal to really feel good about our position. Um, so Houston is a chance you can sweep the Cougars. You, get, you got the big win over them a couple weeks ago in Houston. Um, I think that means that Houston, the way that one went down, my guess is Houston will be motivated coming into this game, even though they've wrapped up the conference um, and they're they're playing for seeding in the NCAA tournament at this point. And Memphis, you know, they don't have that many. Houston, for as good as they've been this year, doesn't have that many big wins. And winning at Memphis would be a quad one win for them um, on their resume. So... um, Really interesting matchup. The last time uh, they played, you know, that was the first game Landers started. Um, and, you know, Memphis made all the big plays down the stretch, hit free throws, you know, took on every charge Houston had on the road um, and responded every time. And it kind of became, um, you know, it, it's sort of what they've done in all their wins here of late in, in a lot of ways. They've been very resilient. Um what do you make of the, the rematch, Jason? What 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 stands out to you? It's Houston. It's going to be a it's going to be a tough game, or you have to assume it's going to be a tough game. They they outside of their loss to Memphis, they are still playing quite well. Now, if you watch the first half uh, uh, of Houston's game on Tuesday against uh, at home against Cincinnati. I mean, this is a Cincinnati team that scored 52 points against USF and lost at home. Uh, USF, the last place team in the conference, went into Cincinnati on senior day and beat Cincinnati. Cincinnati turns around, goes into Houston, and was one buzzer beater away, one first half into the first half buzzer beater by Tajay Moore, South Haven's Tajay Moore, away from going into halftime down just one point to Houston. And the only reason that Houston was up at halftime was because of Fabian White, who had like 16 or 17 first half, maybe even 18 uh, points in the first half for Houston. So like the point is Houston is just not the dominant, intimidating, you know, immovable object that they once were. Um, And the other thing, the other really, um, Potentially interesting thing is that that game that they played last night against Cincinnati would not have been played uh, this week were it not for, uh, I believe it was a COVID postponement. That game was supposed to be played December 28th uh, and it got postponed to this week. And because of that, Houston is going to come into Memphis having played 
three games in six days and four games in eight days. It'll be their Sunday's game at Memphis will be their fourth game in eight days. And this is a team that is already, you know, anybody who watched the Memphis uh, Houston game saw that they they're kind of gassed. Um, like, you know, they're, they're not very deep. They are not a deep team. And, um, you know, you can kind of see it catching up to them here late in the season, you know, and compounding, you know, making matters worse. They're play, that'll be their fourth game. Uh, this coming Sunday will be their fourth game in eight days. And I just, I think that's, uh, you know, uh, uh, an under, an undercurrent to, uh, to the matchup that's, you know, at least worth noting. Well, and it sounds like they're going to be confronted with a unbelievable atmosphere at FedEx Forum. The ports are, I think, what, 16,000 tickets have been sold at this point for the game. So yeah. my gut tells me by tip-off it'll be near sellout you know, or a sellout of some kind. It'll, be, it'll likely be the best atmosphere of the season inside FedEx Forum. Um, and... Uh, yeah, it's going to be, it, it should be one heck of a experience, uh, th- in that way. Two things I'd point out from the first game that I think are going to be important for Memphis, though they committed Memphis committed 19 turnovers in that game. They also forced Houston into 19 turnovers and turned them into 16 points. Um, I think that's really notable. And they also out rebounded Houston in that game. They won the rebounding battle 30 to 26. And we know like Houston is, you know, they are a great offensive rebounding team. Um, and so, and they limited them to nine offensive rebounds. Um, so that is something that is, uh, you want to replicate that because Houston, they, as you pointed out, like they're not super talented offensively. Um, what they do well, though, is they they get a lot of chances. Even last year's team, that you know, they they just they pound the glass typically. Um, and so uh, Memphis did a great job in both those categories. Really, you know, getting Houston uncomfortable defensively, and then also protecting the glass well, or and certainly much better than they have in previous matchups with Houston. Um, so. Um, it, it should be a fun one, though. And I, I'm with you. I think, I think, you know, I know Ken Palm or whatever would say Houston's still a favorite, even on the road. I think the circumstances are lining up for Memphis to, uh, to get another big win over here over Houston. Because it, it's very clear to me, even if you go back to last year's two matchups, that they have a good, they have a good plan to go against Houston. They very clearly play Houston tougher than anyone in the league, I think. I know SMU knocked them off this year, but like consistently, even when last year, I mean, Memphis, you know, we've talked about it. Memphis had, you know, very good chances to win both those games last year. You know, they get knocked down by a buzzer beater from half court in the first one, and they missed some free throws in the second one. And, you know, another key difference, we talked about it already. That was the first game where you went, holy cow, they can shoot free throws now, the, the Houston win. They were 18 of 19. Second best performance in program history from the free throw line. You know, again, you committed 19 turnovers in that game, but you went 18 of 19 from the free throw line. You offset some of those mistakes that you made because you shot so well from the free throw line. And then the other thing I think 
you know, you want to you look at in these Houston games, DeAndre Williams role has been huge in that when he has gotten in early foul trouble, they have not had success against Houston. Like when he's not on the court. And in this game, the first game, that was the case as well. He got in early foul trouble and they weren't as good without him on the floor. And then in the second half, when he stayed out of foul trouble, they took off and won by one by 10. Um, so he is going to need to avoid the getting those ticky tack fouls early. Um, you know, he's, you know, I mean, uh, uh, unfortunately he does it almost. I mean, it's like every two out of every three games, it feels like he is in early foul trouble. And if you want to maximize this run, you know, which means, you know, maybe you can work your way up into a, you know, eight, nine, 10 seed here down the stretch, you know, maybe you can get to the second weekend. My gut tells me if DeAndre Williams is consistently getting in foul trouble every game, that really lowers your chances of going maximizing this run. Um, and I think th- this Houston game will shine another light on that. I-, I like their chances if he's out of if he's on the court for thirty minutes. Him and if him and Jalen Dern are on the court for thirty plus minutes apiece, I like Memphis's chances against Houston. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm with you. But you know, as well as Memphis uh, matches up against Houston, and as much as Memphis has going for it as you know what I talked about earlier you know uh, uh, Houston isn't deep and they're playing a bunch of games here late and um, it's at home it's a home game for Memphis and they've beaten them once already you know like all that stuff I, I do think this game is going to be a game of uh, adjustments you know which coaching staff I mean because I, I have a feeling that Kelvin Sampson has probably you know been working on, uh, you know, cooking something up special for this game uh, from from a coaching standpoint. And it's, you know, uh, how how Memphis, how Penny Hardaway and his coaching staff respond and adjust um, to whatever is thrown at them, I, I think it's going to be uh, a key, a big key in this, in how this game plays out, how that game plays out. Yeah, well. It's, it's this is the best time of the year, Jason, especially when you're when you're a team that is that is really rolling. And that's what Memphis is. I mean, they, they, you you called them dangerous. I think that's the best way to put it. They feel really dangerous right now, um, now that they have figured it all out. And, you know, it's setting up to be the most, you know, mo- certainly the most exciting March Memphis and Memphis fans have felt in eight years. Um, yeah. be, you know, that's what it's shaping up to be. They, they still there's still some work to do. Um, but we're lo- we can see the finish line and it feels like the Tigers have worked their way into a decent position here. Um, some, you know, some would say against a lot of odds, um, they've, they've, they've really hit their stride and, you know, they're playing certainly as well as anyone in their conference. And they feel like, I'm not saying they deserve to be a top 25 team based on their entire resume. They don't, but there are not 25 teams in the country playing better basketball than Memphis right now, I I think is how I would phrase it. Um, They're they're playing really well. So um, I like their chances to finish this deal off over the next week. I, I think when we join you next week for next week's podcast, as we're looking ahead to Fort Worth in the AAC tournament, 
I think we're talking about Memphis, not in terms of will they make the NCAA tournament. I think we're going to be talking about what seed are they going to be. That would be what what seed can they play their way into in Fort Worth. That's my guess. I think I think I, I'm I'm predicting a two and zero week, Jason. Yeah, I, I I agree, and yeah, I think by this time next week we're going to be. I, I'm going to. I'll say we'll save it because obviously uh, they have to win these two games, but um, I, I think we'll be talking about things like. You know, because you finished the regular season the way you did, as talking about Memphis, would you would it be more advantageous to your uh, to your? Ah, well, we'll save it. We'll save it. We'll save it. Let's save it. You save? Oh, you're saving the take. Okay. Let's save right. it. Yep. Yeah, save keep, it. keep that holstered. Keep that holstered. Fire it next week. Fire it how's next that week. For, yeah. How's that for a cliffhanger? There you go. All right. Well, we'll have tons of coverage throughout the week. Jason will be down in Tampa. Thursday night uh, as well. We'll have tons of coverage on commercialpeel.com. Make sure you are checking it out. And uh, yeah, it should be a fun week. USF on Thursday night in Tampa, and then Houston at home at FedEx Forum Sunday on CBS. Jim Nance and Bill Raftery will be calling the game, getting the A team coming to Memphis for the Houston game. Um, cannot wait. Till next time, I was Mark. That was Jason. Thanks so much and enjoy the rest of your week. The Tiger Basketball Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.